remembering as we started the retreat, talking about that the path activity in and of itself breaks up that which obstructs the awakened, present, clear heart, awareness, jitta, heart-mind. And that this process of awakening unfolds according to the Dhamma, not according to our timeline, our agenda, um, our strategies and our ideas about how our practice uh, should be going. Um, And then also not uh, doing the practice so much from this premise of me me doing it and me getting somewhere or not getting somewhere or getting somewhere for a bit and then not getting (laughs) somewhere, (laughs) falling away and then feeling like uh, we lost something or um, there's a lot of that 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 goes on for all of us. But that uh, applying the moments of path activity and then trusting that that in and of itself begins to ripen this awakening that unfolds and matures like a fruit on a tree uh, according to a more mysterious process that has its own timing. So these path activities, we've been uh, just contemplating them, talking about them in the Dharma talks and practicing them. The ground of the cultivation of samatha samadhi, calming, focusing, gathering around the breath body experience. Using that as as the foundation for being here or directing attention in a certain way that supports us to be here more fully, which is challenging in and of itself. And then the, as the ground of our presence begins to be a little bit more steady, moments of attentive connection with breath and body, being here more continually and noticing in the, the uh, contemplation, Vipassana, the Dhamma Vijaya, the contemplation of Dhammas, that which is uh, hindering maybe, hindering us, coming up, obstructing, um, the um, contemplating, been contemplating the characteristics of existence. So not just looking at the experience of being hindered from the personal reactivity to that experience, judging, but also using the lens of the Dharma to see that whatever is arising, whatever visits these guests, that they have these characteristics changing, um, they're dukkha in that they're unreliable and also we lean into them then they're dukkha because we start to struggle and feel this sense of suffering 
but they're also anatta, that they, we can't really locate ourselves in the unfolding phenomena of the mind. We contemplate that phenomena through different lenses, characteristics, the truths, four noble truths, discerning, you know, it's dukkha, non-dukkha, through the khandhas, form, feeling, perception, thought processes, moments of sensory consciousness, and so on. So this contemplation of uh, cultivation of the path is uh, leading to not just to, you know, we're not doing this to be a good Buddhist or good meditator or to rack up points or to stack up how many retreats we've done or how many bowing, bowing practices we've done. You know, we, we can get into that. The mind does get into that quite a lot. <laughs> um, superstar meditator. Uh, we're actually using all of this to awaken. We're here to awaken. We're not here to even be Buddhists, although you know we're using the Dharma, Buddhist Dharma, which is so profound, profound map. Um, but we're here to awaken. And that awakening, you know, a taste of that awakening begins to emerge through these contemplations uh, of seeing more clearly how we get caught through identifying with the, the unfolding of the activity of mind, begins to emerge when this, this viraga, patinisaga that we've been contemplating, the relinquishment, the dispassion, the letting be, the letting go, moments of recognizing that, that when that happens, there's, there's something else that we recognize, not just the activity, not just the sense of me struggling, that there's a background to all of this. A background that we, we don't usually notice in the same way as when we come into the room, we notice all the people, we notice our sense of self as we walk into the room, often in relationship to the content and the people that's here, but we don't notice the space. But the room couldn't exist without the space. So it's a bit like, you know, when we go to a movie theater, being with this mind, it's like going to a, you know, going to go and see a movie and uh, the lights go down and we look at a movie and then we get very involved in the story. And maybe it's so powerful for us, we start crying, we, we, we kind of really feel for the characters, we start taking sides. And uh, it's all very dramatic. Um, and we can, you know, get feel a lot of emotions and feeling very impacted by these these. What actually, if you slow that frame, those frames down, like we're doing in the meditative process, slowing down the frames of our internal movies, we start to see actually, it's sort of like um, just one frame after another. It's and if you slow it down enough, it's it's moments of color, moments of sensory impingement moments of sound that we put together and create a narrative from. 
and that gives this a, a sense of solidity. But then when the movie stops and the screen goes 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 blank, there's still an awareness. So what what is that which is actually illuminating the movie? What's enabling us to see the movie? So at a certain point in the practice, we're looking at the the objects of our experience, the hindrances or the khandhas or through these different perspectives, but then who is the one looking? What is actually looking? And so it's a bit like maybe one day when we're not so absorbed in the movie, we turn around and look, what's, who, what's projecting all of this? And so we turn around and we see there's a projector. You know, the frames are going through, a projector, projecting the color and the sounds and the narrative, and, but we notice that behind the projector there has to be a light. So it can illuminate what we're looking at. So at a certain point this turning to, we've also been contemplating this uh, through these few weeks, this turning the mind, turning the mind, as Kirisara talked about the other night, um, from the teaching of the Buddha, um, and the teaching of Sariputra uh, to Anuruddha. Uh, turn the mind to that which isn't moving, which just is, which is illuminating. Each moment of hearing, tasting, touching, seeing, feeling, thinking. Do we notice that? And we can, as, as was pointed out, we can have these words, unborn, unconditioned, unoriginated. And then we get into a big thing about what is the right word and what exactly does it mean and, and who's got the best interpretation. Realizing, not forgetting that actually the words can't capture that which is beyond conditioning. <laughs> can't capture in language that which isn't a construct. You can't capture in language that which can be, uh, you know, that which is, um, that which is, unborn, the unborn sometimes it's called. So beyond the words, this direct looking, so even practicing that, moments of turning the mind, or as, Zen master Huang Po said, we cannot become what we've always been. We can only become intuitively aware of our original state, previously hidden by clouds of illusion. So a lot of what we're working with are the clouds, of these clouds that go through the weather patterns that go through the space of the mind. You know, and then there's there's these sort of like moments of recognizing intuitive intuitive intuitively aware of our original state that isn't being diminished it isn't being it isn't gaining anything it isn't notching up credit points it's not moving in time it hasn't got an agenda. It's not even that personal. So 
So the mind not knowing its own natural state, mind not knowing its original nature, there's a tendency, this uh, contemplating, this avicca, pachya, sankara, this not knowing, avicca, it's not knowing our original state, this pachya, the conditions, this sankara, this volitional sense of something to move towards, a patterning, something to be lean on, to be born into, this thought, this memory, this, this, this big uh, storyline. And that, as soon as that movement, I mean, looking at it, I can maybe feel that, that movement and then that identification and then that being born into time, into space, into the story, into the sense of me, me doing this, me being here me going somewhere, me winning, me failing, me upset, me happy, me peaceful, me devastated. You know, we <laughs> a lot of different me's, but if you notice, it's always me. <laughs> central theme, central character. So the, the, uh, the, you know, the contemplation of this is very profound and we've been contemplating the sankara not just as that original subtle pat, um, volition actually often translate that movement into the shaping and the patterning but also how deep and complex and layered our patternings are around the sense of self and how much they have a very profound often emotional content energetic patterning held in the body from very young and ancestral and collective places, some of which have been very hard to be with, but also very liberating to see. And to see those being released through the power of mindful attention and clear seeing. And then sometimes feeling those energetic releases, opening, the flood of, of just being opened, the energy of the body not constricted so much, the mind not patterned, not reactive so much. And then we can start to feel, you know, if we're not careful, there's this, this unconditioned and this peace and this patinisaga, um, this relinquishment, and there's a taste of, oh, thank God. Whew. And then there's this feeling, but then there's all the stuff you know, that's getting in the way, the clouds of illusion, and we don't want that stuff. You know, so there's this subtle and not so subtle, you know, anxiety. You know, I'm, I'm going to lose this and I'm going to go out of here and it's all going to flood in. And, and uh, so a, a subtle battle then between the, how we sort of perceive this unconditioned and the conditioned. You know, we, we know the pre- where the preference is. <laughs> Yeah, so there's a split that starts in the world and then, you know, peace. Or maybe we feel, uh, you know, a bit guilty. I should be really a bit more attentive to the world because it's burning and hurting so much. And here I am just being peaceful. I should be sort of, you know, am I bypassing, am I spiritually bypassing everything? Because I just want to hang out in this sort of, this peace. So it can, there can be a very uh, complex territory because we start the mind starts to make a division. That's what the mind does. 
see thoughts, the conceptual proliferation cuts everything up when there isn't really, uh, you know, it's a seamless whole. So I was, uh, was saying the other night, Kitty Saro, reading from Ajahn Chah, Ajahn Chah saying, where it's hot, it's, it's cold. Where there's sangsara, there's nibbana. They're not separate. They're in within one another. And yet they are also distinct, of course. Where there's dukkha, there's already the journey into non-dukkha. There's a Buddha, there's Mara. (laughs) They both belong together. (laughs) Where there's movement, there's stillness. Where there's space, there's form. And then we get this text that we started to open into and to to contemplate of the, the Heart Sutra that dissolves even the most subtle boundaries. Form is emptiness, emptiness is form. And the mind just can't at that point cope. It's like I had it all down, I got it all characterized, and then suddenly it got blown up by this text. And you know, it's a, after all, it's a Mahayana text, we don't have to attend to that. <laughs> Probably the Buddha never taught it, so let's go back to our, our sort of, you know, graduated paths in the Theravada. <laughs> we feel comfortable, we know where we are. <laughs> Give us some ground again. But it's a very, you know, this is like a koan. This is a, it's not a text you comprehend cognitively. It's the whole point of it, to blow up your cognitive mind. It's not a text that you're going to um, kind of get on top on and make a big sort of PhD out of. It's, um, it's, you know, actually in, in many ways it's a complete challenge to that. It's a challenge to the hierarchy of knowledge. It's a, you know, to the orthodoxy of, of even what enlightenment is. It just comes in and it starts to undercut all of the um, empires of the mind, really, that we build even as meditators, all these uh, teaching structures and teachings and suttas. And, you know, it's a big job, Buddhism. <laughs> we need years, eons, to kind of get on top of it. All these suttas and... And then we got to learn Pali and then probably Sanskrit and then we got to know about the history of it all and we got to get the right views and then now there's this whole mindfulness and now we've got to do science, you know. And then there's therapy and developmental processes and, you know, and then somatic trauma, trauma workshops and, you know, it's really a bit of a big job. Yeah, and to do this retreat, that that one's doing it from that angle, and this one's doing it from this angle, and and which one is right, and it can be so confusing, and so endless. Yeah. But then you've got this little pithy text that comes in and says, you know, this sort of starts to demolish all all the all the methods. There is no suffering, no origin of suffering, no end of suffering, and no way. Oh my God, what are we going to do with that one? You know? And it demolishes, you know, all the conventional and and accepted teaching structures. You know, skandhas, no 12 links. I just learnt them. I learnt them in Pali. (laughs) I can actually actually chant it finally. You tell me it isn't isn't, isn't relevant. 
Yeah, so all our hard-earned knowledge, it just absolutely puts a wrecking ball to it. You know, so, um, so good. Good, you know, spend decades doing this stuff and realizing you've got to start fresh in the moment. Yeah, so in in a way, the the Heart Sutra is is really an interesting text, and it's it's uh, got a lot in it. You know, it's it sort of really removes um, the currency really of this conceptual brilliance of the of the mind as a as a means to enlightenment. It's sort of saying you are not going to actually get to what this so-called enlightenment things through through the cognitive, however brilliant it is, through your stacks of knowledge, because it's a leap. It's an intuitive, as Huang Po, it's an intuitive opening that's only ever here and now. That's why you get these characters like the Sixth Sense uh, Patriarch, Hui Neng, hearing one little piece of teaching, or conditioned dharmas like dreams, illusions, Shadows, bubbles, like dewdrops, and a lightning flash, contemplate them thus, heard it in a tea shop, and bam, he got it. You know, and sort of became, you know, um, awakened. One, one verse. It was literate. You know, because the Dharma, the, the living Dharma, the realization of the living Dharma, it's not to put down all the learning and the, I mean, these are all very important containers and supports. But in awakening, there's a a leap, and this is what the Heart Sutra, the leap beyond the walls of the mind, to radically point the disciple, uh, which is our brilliant, clever mind, to point that back so that, sorry, uh, so Avalokiteshvara, which represents this deep prajna heart, coursing the depths of the unconditioned is pointing to Sariputra who I guess represents to some degree in that mode the brilliance of Buddhist wisdom to say look again look deeper so it's saying to us keep looking you know beyond the idea that we've attaining anything or not attaining anything You keep uh, to returning, this returning the mind that's, you know, when, when, when the sutra opens, it goes, Iha Sariputra, here, Sariputra. So that's the first teaching that Avalokiteshvara gives, Iha Sariputra, means be here, that's it, be here, be here. That's the first teaching. It's almost enough in itself. Be in your own home. You know, n- not necessarily be here at the Forest Refuge. It's nice to be here, but be in your heart. Be in your home. Be in your true home. F- know what that is. Be there. Always be there. Return there. Reclaim there. Reclaim that. This is uh, you know, the pointing, recognizing You know, this this turning the heart back into itself, away from the, this mano vinyana, the mind that's going out. That the mano, the, the this discriminating and creating objects, goes out and it knows things like, 
It knows you, it knows me, it knows stuff, lots of stuff. Name, through naming, through designating as difference, this is different than that. This is a function of the mind that we rely on a lot and it helps us get through the world. But this, uh, it's, this prajna knowing is a different kind of knowing. Avadokiteshvara is pointing to Sariputra. This is a different, a whole radically different shift. Prajna, literally in the Sanskrit, meaning that which is before we, we know, we know things, actually before we know, before we designate, before we make an object, before we say this is, you know, Tanisra, this is Kirisara, this is the forest refuge, this is this person, this is, in, this happened in that time, and this happen, will happen in this time. And that's why it's so difficult, because this prajna knowing, this heart of Avalokiteshvara is, is encouraging us to 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 stand before we know something as an object so it's it's a what's implied in that what's the the reality of that is that there's a knowing that's not making a distinction through the cognitive proliferating mind it's a knowing where everything is actually intimate to itself it's sometimes our our teacher Jensen would call it pure subjectivity. There's no object. You can't get behind it. You can't make an object of the deepest seat of your own being, of your awareness, of your knowing heart. It just is. Often quietly present. The most real And that knowing isn't so interested in knowing things to categorize uh, so that we can control and own and split up the world. It's really, as, as in the Sutra, Avalokiteshvara is the one that's knowing by coursing and knowing through coursing the depths of the mystery. Isn't that beautiful? This is what we can do as humans, coursing the depths of the Dharma, which is a mystery. It's not a mystery because things are known in a very intimate way. And therefore it's very fulfilling, very full, very nourishing. It's very lonely when we know everything as an object. The self is in a very fragile, ultimately quite isolated position and always overcompensating for that. It's quite painful. But when we know from the heart, everything is a part of ourselves. We're in a deep web of life. Trees, people, breath, birds, everything speaking, everything is in communion. It's a radically different relationship. It's the reclamation of that which is uh, sacred, the seat of the sacred, his heart. For example, just uh, 
You know, if we, when we're going through the Mano Vinyana, we're sort of walking along and we might see a big spider. And our reaction is, you know, to that is, is immediate. Oh, you know, that's bad. I don't like it. You know, and we, you know here we've got these little cups. We can take them out. But usually people just go splat. No. But what's actually, what's happening the moment? That moment is that the mind is projecting onto that being. This is a projection of the mind. It's not a communion with that being. It's a projection of the mind. And then there is a reaction to the mind's own projection. So we're actually reacting to our own projection with fear or aversion. It's nothing at all to do with that little creature just sitting there having a nice day, you know, <laughs> trying to find a little bit of food somewhere. And, and this is the mano vinyana. This is the mind untrained. It's doing it all the time. We're constantly projecting and reacting to our projections and then generating fear and then thinking it's the fault of the thing we've projected onto the world around us. And then we have to go and create, you know, control it and be violent or own it if we like it. But in the, in the heart that knows its own ground, this awakened heart, this present heart that's intimate to all things, then there's a very different kind of receptivity deep receptivity and and we've had we have moments that people on retreat you know feeling a resonance with the trees and the leaves and the water of gaston pond you know and each other it's all happening in one awareness and that's a, that's a that's a sense of of love and connection and beauty and fullness is not that sort of hungry ghost feeling about life. And mysterious, it is mysterious. What the hell is this all about? Why don't we say that more? <laughs> so to, to move, you know, there's not really a distinction. There's a distinction when we think about it, when we're contemplating the um, the the flow of phenomena within the, that arises within this knowing heart, the knowing heart of Avalokiteshvara. Avalokiteshvara is known as the one with great compassion. So the knowing is one of compassion. It's not judgment. It's not objectifying. It's not dividing out. It's not trying to control our own. It's actually deep receptive compassion to what is known, to what is received. Because what is received is a part of who we are. It's not really ultimately separate from us. All of it, you know, the whole range of it, the you know, the heat and the cold and the and the the good and the bad. <laughs> you know, you're not gonna get one without the other. I think we always want to try and sort of iron out the things that disturb us. Let's get rid of those people and then we'll be happy. You know, how long have we been doing that? How long have we been doing that? And we're never ever going to get there. So why don't we try and approach this in a different way? <laughs> Here we all are. 
So Avalokiteshvara is the one that's regarding when we're in the seat of Avalokiteshvara, the knowing, unknowing, present heart, knowing all things as intimate to that heart, as resonant with, as sensitive to, there's already compassion. It's not like we have to suddenly become compassionate. It's already, it's already a compassion. It's already healing. It's already liberating what is known. It's already a dynamic interaction. So that prajna is also a dynamic. It's not passive, actually. Dynamic wisdom, dynamic response. But Avalokiteshvara didn't start off like, you know, that's why we practice. It's not, it's a leap, but we forget. It's a little, maybe a subtle turning and a moment of, ah. And then the flood of Sankara, the flood of forgetting rushes in and then we get lost and then we react and then we feel bad and then We have to distract and, you know, and then we remember again. And so it goes on like that for a long, long time. But remembering more quickly and remembering that, you know, the story of Avalokiteshvara in one of the classical stories, Avalokiteshvara came to this plane, great being, had this great intention, great bodhisattva. I'm going to meditate here and send love and compassion and change the world. And after a few lifetimes, noticed that the world wasn't changing that much and started to get really, really upset. And in the end, the suffering was so great, it said that Avalokiteshvara's head shattered with the overwhelm of it all, shattered into a million pieces. The whole body just shattered. And cried out in that moment, cried out to, to, to uh, his guru, Amitabha Buddha, who represents this sort of pure consciousness, pure light, pure awareness. You know, I'm hurting, what can I, please help. (laughs) You know, that way that we cry out when we're shattering. And Amitabha Buddha appears and said, well, what do you think would happen? You know, this is how it is. You know, this is well. Never mind. Let me help you. So then, Amitabha rebuilds Avalokiteshvara's body and, and gives him, her, eleven heads and a thousand hands and eyes. And so that Avalokiteshvara suddenly gets all these extra ways that that she can respond in in the world. And in a way, it's a very good metaphor for our journey of awakening because it's not like one leap and we're done. It's we leap and we crash and we crash and we crash and we crash and then we come up for air and then we remember and then we forget and then it goes really well and we get calm and then we, then we fall into a pit and then we, get, you know, then we feel like we've got some clarity and strength and togetherness and we go out there and then the world shatters us. You know, it's just, and then we give up, we get despairing, and then we cry out. But in all of this process, you know, as Ajahn Chah said, the practice is preparation for when big things hit. 
It's we're being reshaped, remodeled. It's like we're we're actually growing a Dharma body. You know, an Adamantine Dharma body. It doesn't mean to say that it doesn't feel. It feels deeply. If you feel intimately with all things, you're going to feel even more. It's not like putting up a big wall. You feel more and more profoundly the cries of the world. Avalokiteshvara Kuan Yin is the one that regards the cries of the world is there forever to to listen deeply, deeply, deeply. But that is more and more able to be transmuted just through our skills, the Dharma skills we're cultivating, but through the power of this adamantine, diamond-like knowing of the heart and realizing that when we are embodied and in refuge there, that it isn't shaking all over the place. The world is shaking, but there is that which doesn't shake. The world is being flooded and burning down, but there is that which isn't flooded and burning. Just here, but it's only here, just now, just this much, trusting that. And that's why I said in the Heart Sutra that this is a leap of faith. It's the faith in that heart, having faith to our own heart, our own awareness. Not to this crazed mind with its agendas. but the faith to the listening heart and returning there, getting to, to deepen into the trust of that. This, this you know, as uh, Ajahn Chah called the living Dharma, that the heart, that the awareness that's deeply connected to the flow of Dharma and is receptive to that, living Dharma, is responsive, wise, unfolding, revelatory, healing, within which miracles can happen and do happen. So when I first heard about you know this this is a bodhicitta bodhisattva heart, um, it was very inspiring. And I remember going to some uh, teachings um, of the Dalai Lama in London once, and uh, it was a long time ago. And he would always begin a pretty serious body of teachings that he was giving with uh, having everyone take the Bodhisattva vows. At the time I was a Theravada nun and I certainly, you know, didn't really feel like I wanted to be a Bodhisattva. I liked the idea, but I didn't really want to be around until the last blade of grass was enlightened. I really wanted a path quickly out. That's why I became a Theravada nun. (laughs) You know, where's the escape hatch and let me dive through it, you know. I mean, I was like really into that mode. And then suddenly I found myself taking these 
vows and I got into a real panic about it actually. I mean, it's a strange thing to get into a panic about. But I got into a real sort of philosophical dilemma and crisis about, you know, these, this, this happening. So I went to my uh, teacher, uh, Ajahn Sumedho at the time, uh, back to the monastery and said, I, I think I might have done something really bad. <laughs> uh, you know, I just took these bodhisattva vows. And he looked at me as if I was insane. <laughs> and he was like, well, you know, I was told him the story. And, um, and he said, well, I think you're approaching it from a sense of self. You know, it's not really you as a sense of self. I mean, it's not you that's going to be around to, you know, the last blade of grass. And if you look at it like that, it's a huge burden. You know, you're immediately going to feel like, you know, it's impossible. Or you're going to get into some inflated state about it. So he said, this is the way to think about this. He said, you know, this really is talking about the heart that's willing to be here with profound patience with how it is for however long it takes. That's the bodhisattva heart. To really be here, you know, it's a very different thing than the rush to get there. Uh, or as Master Shunwa, our other uh, very influential teacher, would say, you know, I like going, but I like going last. You know, everyone else wants to go first, but I, I like to go last. Uh, so it's a, it's this a reversal, the reversal of how the egoic consciousness is is wired. It's a reversal of that, uh, and a, a reversal back into trust, really trusting this depth of the knowing, compassionate, listening heart, that that from there will emerge the right response. It's a beautiful um, story that I wanted to share around this from a, a friend of ours and a, a practitioner that was um, doing one of our retreats. It's in uh, South Africa. And uh, when we were teaching at the, um, the large center there, taught there, we were guiding teachers there for many years before we started uh, Dhammagiri. Um, and um, she was um, also a practitioner of the Kuan Yin Dharmas. And she talks about how one day she was uh, walking in a forest outside of the center. She'd been doing a retreat. And there were forests around um, the, the, uh, in the area uh, with her friend, who was another uh, person that was um, on the staff at the retreat center. And they were walking together and they realized they were being followed by this, this guy. And they knew uh, that he was uh, out for no good, that he was dangerous. So uh, as she was walking, um, they tried to walk faster. And this, this, uh, this guy called up and he stopped and asked her, the young woman, to, to go with him. And she said, I, I refused and turned away. But he grabbed my neck and pushed me to the ground. My friend threw a log at him, which gave me a chance to get up on my feet, and we ran. But something told me to stop. 
I sensed that the chase was strengthening him, casting us as a predator and a prey in an ancient story with an inevitable ending. To stop that story's momentum, I stopped running, turned to face him and shouted, What do you want? In that moment, everything changed in a way that is impossible to describe. For the first time in my life, I was entirely without fear, knowing with utter conviction that no matter what this man did to me, he could never hurt me. As he grabbed my wrist, I was overwhelmed by a powerful love for him and for everything. The forest around us burst into radiant, pulsating life as if the trees were on fire with the same love. In this indescribable experience, a few sensations remain clear. Everyone who had ever loved me came to mind and I felt their presence there among the trees. My protection was beyond question and I was overcome by a joyful peace I had never known. When the man held a knife to my throat and told me to lie down and be quiet, his sadness ached in me. A mother watching her small child hurt himself through ignorance might feel the same way. I wanted him to stop endangering himself in this way, not with any urgency or fear, but simply because I could see that his self-torment was unnecessary. I spoke words I don't remember choosing. You're a man. You're a good man. You don't hurt people. Whether or not he understood, I felt his relief as he too realized he didn't have to do what he was doing. His grip on my wrist softened, but I stayed with him, holding his hand and repeating the words, You're a man, a good man. By now my friend had found a heavy branch as a weapon and was quietly making it clear she would put up a fight. I released my hand, he lowered his knife and my friend and I walked away. That night the man came to me in a dream. He wanted to show me something, a wound in the side of his back. It was a deep fatal gash, raw and bleeding and I knew it had been there for a long, long time. With the same love I had known in the forest, I put my hand on the wound. Afterward, when I told the stories to others, they commented on our courage. My friend showed extraordinary courage, but what happened to me was something different. It was grace, and it was everyone's. This really is... um, expresses uh, some very important pieces in terms of the fruit of uh, a practice in that moment of this stopping the first of all just stopping that endless running stopping the endless running this practice is deeply about uh, stopping stopping and the you know moving with the wheel the wheel still still moves, so stopping, and then turning in that moment of, of um, fearlessness, joy, that was released, and then that very graceful, unstrategic, profound response that came through from the living Dharma that was healing for the totality of that dynamic. 
And for me, it really speaks to this, this Avalokiteshvara Kuan Yin heart. That when we trust at that uh, level, when we're stopping at that level, then something altogether can emerge. Something unexpected. Something radical. Something uh, transformative. Uh, something profoundly and extraordinarily healing. Because this is the nature of consciousness. It's the nature of that which is not dying, which is not being born, which is not going anywhere, which is reality. And that reality, we're not divorced from that reality. That reality is manifesting and unfolding within and around us all the time. And we just don't see it, we don't trust. So this is challenging work that we're doing. It's patient work that we're doing. And we can easily get discouraged. And we can easily feel that there's no point sometimes. Or we're not sure that the fruits will come. But it's in moments like that. Or moments that the unexpected, as they say, that reality comes in the unexpected. And it's not from our strategy that we realize that There's a very profound fruit and purpose and unfolding that's happening in the work that we're doing here. As we turn and remember again and again and again to be with this one breath, to be patient again with this crazy mind, to touch what we're experiencing that's wounded with compassion, to receive the fullness of our being through all the different states and the phenomena of what we experience. This activity, this path activity, moment by moment, is that which will ripen and will unfold into the fullness of unshakable awakening according to the Dharma. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.